road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Hey everybody and welcome to the Where's Willie podcast. Join me, William Miller, as I travel the country talking to manufacturers of all types about their trials, tribulations, and triumphs in the industry. This show is brought to you by Koganay International America, Inc. Hello and welcome to today's recording of the Where's Willie podcast, powered by Koganay International America, Inc., a global manufacturer of more than 512,000 components that help engineers miniaturize every device, machine, robotic, and automated process. I've traveled coast to coast in the Americas talking to leaders on all topics relating to the manufacturing of every industry. Today, my travels take me to Marietta, Georgia to talk with four amazing humans and veterans that are doing something that I find pretty remarkable. Now, as we get started, I wanna go into their bio so you can understand why I'm so excited. Mike Horn is the co-founder of vet to ceo Michael served 21 years in uniform. In the U.S. Army, he was an airborne ranger specializing in project management for the development of infantry, missile, mortar, and flame weapon systems. He also managed government sales and alliances at ALI. As the Alliance VP, he managed Washington National Guard relationship. In addition, he developed and maintained relationships with other alliance partners. Mike owns Brothers Body and Equipment, a specialty vehicle manufacturer in Galeon, Ohio. John Panichone, co-founder. John served for six years on active duty as a U.S. Army officer, mostly as a paratrooper and jump master in the 82nd Airborne Division. Prior to launching his business career, he continued to serve in the Army Reserve for two more years. Since his transition from the Army in 1992, John has acquired 18 years of experience leading teams that focus on using technology to improve corporate performance. He held several senior positions as a sales and operational leader in large corporations and small businesses that led to his eventual founding of this current business, Logic Bay. As co-founder and CEO of Logic Bay, John works with leading companies to develop and implement strategies for scaling indirect sales channels using a combination of services and technologies. Most recently, his company's software product became the first platform authorized by the state of North Carolina for the use by entrepreneurs and small businesses in the state to raise capital using the new investment crowdfunding law called the NC PACES Act. Monty Heath, first executive director, Monty completed his first life's goal by becoming a U.S. Navy SEAL. He served alongside America's finest in both operations Enduring Freedom and Join Forge. Monty credits SEAL Teams 2 and SEAL Team 6 as the providers for most of his tools in his metaphorical toolbox. He has twice been awarded the Bronze Star with Combat Valor designation. After serving in the Navy for over 10 years, Monty decided to transition from active duty and instead join the ranks of veterans so that he might start a family and change his focus to the civilian sector. He claims this was one of the most difficult choices he has ever made. Through the years, he has managed a variety of successful programs and contracts as a civilian contractor, including being supervisor of the Navy SEALs Mentorship Program and BUDS Preparatory Program. Monty was vet to CEO's first executive director and served in that role starting back in 2017. Rob Campbell, current executive director. Rob began a career in the Army as an infantry officer in 1990. He served in a variety of command and staff positions in a career spanning over 27 years. His culminating assignment was command of an infantry brigade in the 101st Airborne Division. He is a veteran of our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, 
is a decorated with the Combat Infantryman's badge and three bronze star medals and served during recovery efforts following Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. In 2016, Robert retired and wrote a book on leadership. After learning from several failed job attempts in an impersonal job market, Rob found his calling as a business consultant. Gentlemen, on behalf of everybody that is listening, I wanna thank all of you. I am truly honored to have all of you as a guest, and I thank all of you for your service and protecting our freedoms here in America. Thank you all so much for being a guest of the Where's Willie podcast. Now, thanks, Willie. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Willie. Now, you guys, I'm telling you, I got goosebumps, and I'm so excited. And you guys being a guest did not come at your request, so I want to be clear to the listeners, it came at mine. A couple of weeks ago, I interviewed the CEO, John Panachone, as I told you, of Logic Bay, where offline he shared with me something that he's doing, and I said, this is too remarkable not to discuss. So, gentlemen, I would like you to share with all of our listeners, the Vet to CEO company, what is it and what is your purpose and vision and mission? Well, Rob, why don't you take that? You're the executive director. You know, you're the one that's supposed to uh, rehearse the answer to this. So uh, you got the floor, man. Oh, my God. I'm not good in front of people. Uh, Willie, we are a uh, nonprofit 501c3, founded about seven years ago. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. By John Panichon and Mike Horn, who veterans, uh, but also, you know, wanted to find a way to continue to serve and became entrepreneurs in their own right and wanted to share that experience with transition warriors. There it was. Uh, the course was born. Uh, I think it started at community college and then we took it virtual. And I came in, uh, I guess it was last year because John and I had connected here in Wilmington where we're at and joined the team. We run a, uh, a virtual entrepreneurship course, runs about five weeks. We have an additional module that goes through the uh, funding and finance sort of things as a separate thing. But we do about once a quarter, and it is virtual. Uh, veterans uh, can take this or service members if they're still active and are thinking of entrepreneurship as they transition out and join on the course. It's free, and uh, we get some great uh, help from uh, funding from a lot of our uh, partners and supporters out there to keep the program alive. and. We've got over uh, 4,000 students that have gone through the course. We've done 30 cohorts today. We're nationally recognized. So we've got a really solid course. Now, as the new guy in this group, you know, that just came in about a year ago and being an entrepreneur myself, I think what's great about our program is it's run by entrepreneurs. Too many veteran programs or veteran entrepreneurship programs out there run by veterans that are not entrepreneurs. They may have had a few years in business, but nothing like what John and Mike, our core constructors, bring to the plate. These guys have been in business for decades, but they also get the better they understand. And that's what's unique about our program. We have great reviews and have a lot of fun doing it. And we've got some neat things we're looking at for our future. I think we'll probably get into those. But I hope I've done the program justice by telling what we're all about. Guys, that's awesome. So again, listeners, over 4,000 individuals that you guys have already served. And this is all virtual, so I see uh, this only growing. You know, some of the questions that I'm that strike me when I first learned about Vet to CEO, I did not serve, yet I recognize, and I know a lot of people that have served. Just the dynamic of completing your mission, honorably discharged, and civilian—that is very, very difficult, because none of us can understand what you have seen and endured 
and had to go through in terms of challenge and leadership. That being said, as in North America, everybody embraces and we look to our branches of military as the greatest education of leadership. Yet that transition has seemed very difficult for a small group of leaders within our military when they go to civilian life. When we talk specifically about business entrepreneurship, can you guys, based on your own experience and challenges, maybe to help people understand, and I would bet that one of the challenges with vet to ceo is growing participation, whether it's, you know, a veteran's uncomfortable, doesn't know business. Can you guys just talk a little bit about your experience of the four of you working together as of today's date, helping over 4,000 individuals? You've heard a lot of stories. What would you say for the listeners that have served that want to reach out to you guys and get help? What is the biggest challenge or the limiting factor as to why maybe they have reservations or they've shared with you what the biggest challenges are? Can you guys talk about that? Yeah, I'll talk about that. I mean, one of the challenges that we find is that veterans underestimate or devalue the skills that they have acquired in the military. Regardless of the service that we're in, Monty was in the Navy, we got, the rest of us were in the Army, we all learn basic core skills. And then on top of those core skills, we learn a bunch of other skills. I was a mechanized infantryman, and I worked and trained around tanks and personnel carriers. And so I understand pieces of equipment. And that's why I went into the manufacturing business, because that's what I understand. I know how trucks work. I know how tanks work. I know how personnel carriers work. And so I have been able to take these skills that I learned as an infantryman and transition them into the manufacturing business. And that is the great challenge of every veteran. Every veteran needs to take an inventory of everything that they have learned and transition all of those skills into what they do. My advice is figure out what you like to do and pursue a career in what you like to do. Because if you do that, then you're going to get into something that is going to fit in with your personality and something that you'll want to continue to do for many, many years. I think that a big mistake that a lot of veterans make when they immediately exit the services, they just try to go find a job. And there are plenty of jobs out there. You got to find a job that you're going to like doing for a long, long time. And if you do that, uh, you'll be successful. That's what we try to help folks do at Vet the CEO. We try to get them to look at their skills and focus on transitioning those skills into entrepreneurship because there is a lot of value in being an entrepreneur. And we are veterans are perfect um, in their skill sets and their attitudes to be entrepreneurs. Who's next? The only thing I would add to that, Mike, is when you're looking at your skills, I would suggest to people to write down all your positive skills or all your strengths on one side and then be brutally honest and write down all your weaknesses on the other side and then look into those weaknesses and decide if you want to take the time and effort to upgrade them. And if you can't or won't, hire it out. 
So be honest with your weaknesses and hire out those weaknesses if you cannot bring them or don't want to bring them up to par. Something I want to ask you guys, you know, and obviously both Michael, John, Monty, Rob, just as I mentor former has-been athletes, you know, one mindset to me, and I do think that mindset is everything. And I want to say this statement, and I either want you guys to agree or tell me that I'm wrong. When I look at what I've listened to and I've learned, again, I do not have any empathy. I can't relate to what you guys have seen and gone through. But in the stories and the things that have been shared with me, the defining mindset that I continue to hear, and I wrote this down, is accountability versus now freedom to make mistakes. And to me, that's the biggest challenge that I've seen of veterans because you have been trained to make everything perfect from when you report to boot camp to how you organize everything. You follow your MOS, your instructions, everything that you guys have to do to the T, no deviation, no freedom to do anything other than exactly how it was supposed to be done. Then you go into the business world where John will say, Mike, it's your time to be creative, make mistakes. Well, I'm sorry. But that's the difficult challenge. If you've been serving, if you've gone on tour, to come back to civilian life now to go, well, yeah, I guess I could do this. And then what happens? What happens is a lot different in civilian life than somebody that has been a soldier or served in you know, one of our branches of military in some pretty tough situations. So would you guys say that of the 4,000 people that you've helped, mindset is also, Monty, one of those positive or weaknesses that you have to just come to terms with to be honest about and say, it's hard for me. I don't want to make a mistake. Even though the worst thing that's going to happen in this game of business is you'll get a no. That's it. Right? Do you guys find that mindset is oftentimes a big challenge of that transition? I think it's a big challenge of the transition. And I like what you said. I agreed with, with what you said. Furthermore, if you are a super creative person and you want to be able to put your stamp on your product and your service and your business, then great, start your own business. If you want to start a business and you're not into the creativity aspect of it and you're just into the execution aspect of it, I would suggest looking at franchises because you don't have to develop a brand or a logo or branding or messaging. It's already done. It's handed to you just like a playbook in the military. You just execute these standard operating procedures and you're going to be successful. You're going to be successful because that business model has already worked somewhere. One place, two places, 2,000 places. Yeah, that's what I got to say about that. Yeah, if I could add, there's a lot of misperceptions about what you said too, Willie. Like, And there are differences between the services. And Harvard Business School actually did a study on this a few years ago. So... If you're in the Air Force or the Navy in particular, according to this study, and I would agree, there, there is many occupations within those branches, except for ground units like the SEALs and stuff, I'd put in the other two categories, where you can't make a mistake. If you're flying a, a B-1 bomber and you're supposed to put a precision-guided munition on a rooftop somewhere half around the world, there's very little room for error. Or if you're in a bunker and you're in charge of launching nuclear missiles, you don't want to go, oops, I returned the wrong key. I've made a mistake, right? So those, the cultures within those branches and within those jobs in those branches is, are very much what you said. No room for error, checklists, run your world, 
do it by the book. When you go into the Army and the Marines and like units like the SEALs, it's just the opposite. The culture is make a bunch of mistakes because that's how you learn. People actually learn actually through mistakes. So from the time you show up to boot camp, you can't even tie your shoes right. Uh, you're doing everything wrong. And when it's training to do a raid or seize an airfield, it's always harder and you're always screwing it up. So when the time comes to do it for real, you do it as best you can. So I think there's cultures between the branches and that was documented by a Harvard study. And there's also some misunderstandings in the civilian world around that. And, you know, army guys like me with my experience, I can only speak for myself. I was used to making mistakes and the mistakes really weren't a bad thing, you know, culturally, you know, I took that into the business world and realized in the business world, it's largely what you said, mistakes are kind of frowned upon. And we all go through that as part of our transition. I don't know if that made sense. No, it did. And Monty, I like what you said, and I think it's a good transition to, there's actually the question I was going to ask next was, you know, when we talk about mindset and, you know, whether you're creative or you're more on, you know, the SOP guideline of, you know, if I've got the template, I'll be just fine. You know, so when we look at business, you've got startups, you can take over an existing organization, or, you know, as you said, Monty, you can do franchising. Is some of the work that you guys do then sitting down, reviewing kind of that personal profile outline of a given veteran to kind of give some advice or pros and cons of each? And then how do you guys determine or give recommendation or support for maybe a veteran based on their, you know, personality assessment and kind of what their skill set? Do you guys give or provide that kind of recommendation or, you know, uh, referred advice to consider, you know, which they should do, you know, move up the corporate ladder of an existing company because they demonstrate great communication skills and leadership and communication. Do you look at, you know, as you had said, Monty, the, hey, I'm, you know, after talking with that's a CEO, really, I mean, I'm pretty good, you know, creatively and, you know, here's what I like and I've got a couple of good things going where you'd say, yeah, go with that, you know, and we have some resources that we can help, you know, get you in touch with to kind of give them, again, that vulnerable support to go out and do then what they're good at. So is that what Vets CEO will assist in doing is helping a veteran that comes to you to kind of assess basically, as you said, the pros and cons, and then maybe what they should, you know, consider doing? Let me take a whack at that. Uh, yeah, the answer is yes, Willie. Um, here's one of the problems that, you know, entrepreneurship is too much equated to starting. Right. There's this visual of a dude, a couple of dudes or dudettes in the uncle's garage slaving off his Internet. And next thing you know, you're Mark Zuckerberg. And it's so much more than that. In fact, I don't know a single season entrepreneur that says that startup is the way. So to your question, what we try to do early in the course is to expose them to the multiple paths of entrepreneurship. Marty talked about franchise. Excellent example. I only learned this deep into my transition. I wish I'd known this transitioning exploring entrepreneurship but that's what exactly what i did in the military it was on it was franchise i took a unit that already existed let it made it better moved on to another one or buy an existing business you know 70 something percent of veteran-owned businesses are owned by the vietnam generation men and women in their 70s and they want to hand those off to somebody there's a massive space for buying an existing business financed by the owner so it doesn't require a whole ton of capital to step into it and lots of paths we can take them on. So what we try and do, and we do talk franchise quite a bit, is we try and widen our aperture a little bit as they come in to the different paths that are there. 
frankly, some of them may just need to go off and get a job. If you want to disrupt the landscaping industry, then go work in it for a few years, right? And you, you might discover that, yeah, this isn't my thing, like Mike was talking about earlier. Or you're going to get skin in the game because a veteran's brand new stepping into this. He or she has no idea. And so, yeah, we try to widen that aperture quite a bit because I just think there's too much of this startup shark tank talk and entrepreneurship. And that's not what it's about. There's multiple paths. So that drives me to ask you guys a question and I may be opening a can of worms, but I really don't care. <laughs> you guys all serve. You don't either. People continue to serve. What's changed then? Rob, you just said, and I will attest, I'm in the manufacturing industry. This is the only industry, according to NAM, the National Association of Manufacturing, where the average age is getting older. Meaning, people under the age of 35 are not working in manufacturing. There's going to be a huge opportunity. There are people that even if you don't have intrapersonal communication skills, you can work standing in front of a lathe, hitting three buttons, making over 90,000 a year. It's repeatable, it's boring, but these jobs are here and people are ignoring them. So my question or my challenge to all of you then, who served our country? If the training hasn't changed and the same expectations are therefore graduates that get deployed, then guys, what is changing? Why is the average age increasing then? Why aren't our vets today and I, I'm not saying this to be insulting, as driven as the vets in the 50s and 60s? Or maybe are they, but has the landscape changed to e-commerce? Because that's, to me, the biggest challenge. I talked to John when we were talking about Logic Bay. This is the challenge. And why is that happened? I could understand from a civilian standpoint, but to me, the variable that hasn't changed is if you serve in one of our branches of military, you have a very finite expectation to meet. Yet, why is the results changing from soldiers that transition to civilian life now, and you're not seeing as many participate in business as you did in the 60s and 70s or 80s? I'll give it a shot. I think it's because manufacturing isn't sexy. It's not pushed. It seems like tech and only tech is pushed, and manufacturing is boring, and that's the perception. And we're also force-fed into thinking that you can't do anything unless you're passionate about it. Well, I would profess to you, A, not everybody knows what they're passionate about, and B, how about you have a business with a profit margin product or service first, make a bunch of money, exit successfully, and then maybe you'll know what your passion is and you'll be able to fund it. So I think it's just uh, what we're force-fed. Okay. I think it's the education system that is taken folks away from entrepreneurship and manufacturing. People think that manufacturing is not sexy. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Right. At the end of the day, the folks that work for me can stand back, they can look at what they did that day and they can say, hey, I built that. Right. And that is a very gratifying experience to be able to look at what you actually accomplished. And we build some big honking pieces of equipment out of big giant pieces of steel and aluminum. And it's pretty impressive when you can stand back and look at that thing and know that you built it. The other thing that I'd say, um, leveraging off of what Monty said about passion, many people don't know what their passion is. 
John's passion is puppetry and you can't make a lot of money in puppetry. <laughs> and so you've got to get into something that really interests you and sure. something that you're going to be good at. If you do that, you're going to be successful. And I'm here to tell you, manufacturing is very sexy because there are so many products that need to be made out there. It, it's mind-boggling. I once spoke to the guy who is the only manufacturer of electric can opener cutters, the blade that's on an electric can opener. There was one manufacturer in the United States that made these things. And 12 hours a day, he stood next to this machine and it just went ka-chunk, 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 cutting these cutters that go in can openers. Well, I'm here to tell you that is an important job because people need can openers. Yeah. And he could stand back at the end of the day and look at this pile of can opener cutters that he made. And that's a very creative and gratifying experience that I think folks need to understand. And the educational system, our educational system, needs to understand. Manufacturing is not dirty or nasty or scary. It's cool. It's really, really cool. Now, guys, you know, and even outside of manufacturing, though, this is my own opinion. Just, you know, the things that I read, even if you're not in manufacturing and we look at, you know, B2C type of franchises, right? So you're going direct to consumer. I still, maybe it's a feeling and, and it's ignorance on my behalf, but it just seems to me that there has been a decline of willingness to go out and have more startups, even outside of the manufacturing sector. And I just, I still go back to the question of why. Our soldiers are being trained to the same principles that they did when you guys served and before you. So is maybe that mindset driven based on the secondary education. So even when they come up and they, let's say they go active duty for four years and they go on a tour or they don't get deployed. Has it been ingrained and is that the transition or the difference we see why we're not seeing more new businesses from veterans than maybe we did in the last few decades? One point to bring up is that when you're in the military, you get a paycheck your paycheck is always going to arrive. It doesn't matter what's happening in the planet, on the planet, your paycheck is going to be there. When you step into entrepreneurship, not so much. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you've got a bunch of mouths to feed and you didn't invest your money wisely or you spent it on bars around the planet like a lot of us did, you're less apt to jump into a situation where you're not guaranteed anything. And that is a good point. And I also want to now immediately pivot to the next question. Do you guys see opportunity, whether it's tax incentives, and I don't want to get in an argument of should there be, because I'm going to tell you where I stand, and yes, there should be. I, as a civilian who's never served, see a lot of veteran-owned companies that will market that and put that out there, hoping that it's recognized and appreciated. And I see very little ROI because they're a veteran-owned business. Do you guys agree that, and I'll only say this, so we stay away from politics and policies. 
Do you agree that to state that you're a veteran-owned business, there are some incentives, but there's an opportunity for a lot more to support success of a veteran-owned business than there is today? Well, I'd like to chime in with a comment, and then I'm sure Mike has a, an opinion on this. He's a service-disabled veteran-owned small business and has benefited from that, but I'll let him speak for himself. But I think because I'm involved in, in a lot in my day job around raising capital for businesses, veteran or not, I think veterans, women, and minority-owned businesses statistically don't do as well or get their fair share of capital to start businesses. I mean, that's a problem. It's just in the statistics are out there. That's not a subjective statement. So I think as an American society, if we want to support any one of those three categories of folks, we just need to allocate more capital by giving them more capital to start business. So that's one part of the challenge, Willie, in terms of, you know, how these businesses get off the ground and become successful. There's a whole capital raising side of it. Uh, You know, on the other side of the fence, you know, there are, some advantages uh, veterans have, particularly veteran-owned small businesses and a separate category of service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, which Mike's business falls into, where there are some advantages, but uh, maybe Mike can speak to some of those advantages and how effective those programs are. Well, I just want to reinforce what John said about capital. The lack of capital availability is one of the primary challenges with veterans getting into business. Capital has to be made available. And post-World War II up to probably the early 2000s, capital was available and it is dried up now. And that is a huge challenge. I don't lead with the fact that I am a veteran-owned or a service-disabled veteran-owned business. I lead with the fact that we are a manufacturer that knows how to make things mobile. And when you look at the products that we produce on our website, you will very quickly understand that being a veteran is a significant advantage because we work with many, many government agencies and a lot of the stuff that we build is painted desert tan or OD green. And people that have been in the military understand the requirements associated with the products that we manufacture, and that helps our customers. Um, The other thing that I wanted to add is, I try to hire as many veterans as possible. And the reason that I do that is because I know that veterans get it. It doesn't matter whether the veteran that I hire was a cook on the USS Philippine Sea, or an avionics expert on the USS Enterprise, or a tank platoon sergeant in the 1st Battalion 64th Armor Regiment, they all get it. They understand getting the mission done, applying all of the skills that they have toward accomplishing the mission, and they know how to get this stuff out the door to meet the customer's requirements. So I think that Veterans need to understand they've got to find the capital. And if they can find the capital and get a business started, they can become successful. If I can do it as a former infantryman, I'm convinced that anyone can do it because there's plenty of business out there. People are looking, companies and the government are looking for veteran-owned and service-disabled veteran-owned businesses. They're desperate to find them. 
because they're required many times by law to utilize these types of businesses. And I just think that veterans are missing a huge opportunity by uh, not going down the manufacturing path. So Michael, but two things, number one, and I respect your answer, but I also believe that that's maybe the success you're having is because of manufacturing and the products that you make. Would you feel comfortable to say that those same resources are available for a veteran-owned business that is a retail operation or a franchise, let's say in the food service industry? And I'm only asking that because, again, of my ignorance. And you also made the point that, you know, veterans are missing this opportunity. That, to me, means it's an opportunity for organizations like Vet to CEO and the great work that you guys are doing to, again, bring that education. Because I don't think a lot of people know or recognize. And to your point, John, one thing to get startup equity is one thing. That gets you a lease started. That gets you the equipment, the capital that you need to have support and a staff. But then what happens year two, year three? Are there tax incentives for veterans? Maybe there are. And are those some of the things that Vet to CEO does do is research to help and share that with the 4,000 plus former veterans that you guys have already worked with? Yeah, we absolutely do try to educate our participants in the advantages of being a veteran. And to your other question about someone in the retail business or in the food service business, I honestly believe that one of the things in business that you have to do is discriminate yourself or distinguish yourself among your many peers, Every all of the other offerings out there. You, you've got to distinguish yourself. Sure. And I think that a lot of people will utilize your product or service because you're veteran owned rather than going to someone else that's not veteran owned if all other things are equal they may see that and say hey you know maybe this is a great opportunity for me to support a veteran and they'll do that personally i do that in my business i do that i try to utilize as many veteran owned businesses as possible and i think that other people do the same thing also I just want to say that Mike started with he doesn't lead that he's a service disabled veteran owned business because it's more about the product or service. And then the veteran is just the sprinkling on top. So nobody's saying like you can get away with a poor product or service just because you're a veteran. It doesn't work that way. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I know this isn't, you know, charity. This is business. You have to be driven. You have to produce. You have to provide value. But my question and understanding and learning all of the great things that you guys are doing at vet to ceo is understanding all of the education that you're providing because i think that there's so much out there as michael said that i wasn't aware i didn't realize there's that many financial resources of course there's opportunity for more and in the private sector can get involved right so you know we're seeing a huge emergence now that we didn't see in the 70s and 80s of angel investors right and those are negotiated partnerships that you know, John's got a lot of money. He likes the idea. He'll support it. Doesn't have to go through a loan program. Doesn't have to negotiate or get a discounted, you know, loan rate. Those are huge opportunities too. And I think that again, as you guys are continuing to grow and your brand grows to be more powerful, I think that there's an alliance or an opportunity for the people that associate themselves with Vet to CEO that maybe you guys can start attracting your own network of Vet to CEO angel investors. Just a marketing idea from a guy talking to you today. It's just, it's incredible that 
you guys are doing so much. And if we talk about then, here's what I want to do now. You know, we've kind of talked about some of the pitfalls or challenges. Monty, you made a great point of just because you served, just because you were awarded a medal, doesn't mean that people are going to buy from you because you're not bringing value. And that was eloquently put. My next question then is, walk me through when somebody contacts you guys, or maybe, as you said, with the virtual program that you guys have in place, is it, can you kind of walk through a what it looks like? So for example, let's say I served, I have a five-year-old business, I'm in manufacturing. Is Vets' CEO still something that I can have value in? Or is Vets' CEO more for the veteran who hasn't gotten started yet? And that's what you guys kind of build that foundation for. Yeah, I'll take that one, Willie. The um, 40% of our students uh, are already in business. Okay. And you know, a lot of our success stories come from those veterans that went it on their own, might have done a, a course maybe through the you know small business center or they went to boost the business and started a business, but they're in it and they're feeling that, yeah, just, you know, I'm not really prepared. I'm not seeing a lot of things. They find our course come in and they take their organization to new heights. So we have quite a few that are already in business that can kind of take our program and, you know, uh, we'll let them help build that. And then now that we're doing things like the finance, you know, the, the funding academy and all the webinars and things that we're hosting, like we did one just the other night on, on legal issues and bankruptcy and things like that. They've stayed connected to us. Some of them are repeat offenders. They'll come through the course a couple of times because they get a few things and go out and try it and want to come back and hit it again mm -hmm. and ask questions and interact with the other students in class. Now, how long is the given curriculum? And then do you guys have like a syllabus or an outline, for example, you know, to your network that you guys, you know, share on behalf of Veta CEO coming up in August, for example, Veta CEO is hosting a six weeks program on XYZ. Is that kind of how the outline, you get the outreach and you, you know, let people know like specific topics for training? Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Our course actually starts on the 1st of July okay. and it runs five weeks. We do it on Wednesdays from seven to nine. And uh, we use the, the uh, five paragraph field order, which is a familiar thing to veterans to help them go through the business, kind of understanding the environment, you know, developing what product is going to sell, determining if there's a market out there, the logistics associated with it, the operations associated with it. And we bring in guest speakers, people with real deep skin in the game to go through the program. If you go to our website, eventtheceo.org, we've got the curriculum listed on there. It kind of shows the path that you'll follow each of the courses there are some breakout modules that you can do on your own in between the courses uh, that they take and so they get a really good healthy dose of, of entrepreneurship from a virtual standpoint did i miss anything guys no well said i just want to emphasize too a key part of the program is the guest speakers and when you ask participants what they liked about the program a lot of the responses to guest speakers and although Mike and I like to think we're uh, the reason we're really not. And, um, you know, we've got a bureau of over 90 guest speakers. Most of them are veterans. They're either entrepreneurs themselves or they're specialists in their areas like lawyers or accountants or things like that. We just did a special topic webinar where we had three attorneys on as well. That's an example. And really the facilitation of our guest speakers and what they bring to the table in every single module, by the way, 
is what really adds a lot of special sauce to the program. Uh, we've had a, a guest speakers that, you know, did two years in the Army and now own a business, and we've had General McChrystal on as well and everybody in between. So it's a key part of the curriculum. So if I understand then, vet2ceo.org, you guys currently, as of today, you brought your company to where it is presently, where throughout the calendar year, you provide training, education, connection, networking, guest speakers, real world experience. If virtual is where you're at today, and I guess I'll ask Rob, is your goal the future to continue, to just continue to serve more and more veterans? Or do you guys see eventually a potential, I don't want to say a brick and mortar, but physical meetups where you're on site, maybe at Mike's you know, manufacturing facility to maybe learn some Lean Six Sigma, operational excellence, uh, real world applications? What would be, whether it's planned or not, but just in your mindset, the potential how much more vet to ceo can do to serve even more veterans in the future? Yeah, great question. And what we are on to some pretty big ideas. Of course, a lot of this stuff takes funding, right? We're a nonprofit, so we're kind of in a focused fundraising uh, phase right now to kind of build up some capital so we can take these forward. But looking to the future, you know, we want to expand the program. We want chapters. You can't just put all this on the shoulders of Mike and John. We want some more of them out there. Seasoned entrepreneurs that can come in and maybe have a vet to CEO chapter in your hometown. Absolutely want to do brick and mortar type events. We're looking at a, a kickoff event in uh, probably October down in Atlanta. You know, we get over some of this COVID stuff, but we might be able to bring some people together and talk about what we're doing how, and the obstacles of entrepreneurship for veterans and doing that. One of the other ideas we have, Willie, is it's kind of like a, a virtual community. So, you know, you come in, let's say you're not a veteran, but you've got tremendous experience in X industry, manufacturing perhaps. Okay, Willie, would you like to be a mentor for a veteran? Absolutely. Okay, then come into our community. Maybe you pay a subscription or however we structure this thing. And then you occupy that room and we can direct veterans in there. Or a veteran or a service member that's transitioning wants to go back to Idaho and do a self-storage facility. Well, he gets on that site, finds all the other veterans in Idaho, finds those that are in self-storage and starts talking to those people and interacting. So these are some of the big and, and you know neat ideas that we're looking at to really expand this. We've also looked at, um, we've got a template put together for apprenticeship opportunities where a company might pay a site van and give some support to a transitioning service number to come work in that company, get some skin in the game, kind of see how things are done, you know, both get benefit from doing that. So all of this is really trying to provide a wider aperture as they transition out, because that's one of the problems. The transition programs in the military are very, very focused on just get a job. And like Mike was talking about, it's got nothing to do with your passion. They just want you to get a job, period. There's not a lot of talk on entrepreneurship. There's not a lot of talk on a wide variety of things that people can do. And to your point earlier on manufacturing, you know, why more people aren't choosing that. I, I did want to hit on that. I did some study for a fence company I was working with that had a real hard time uh, hiring people, trying to find, you know, good workers to come in. Mm -hmm. I think it extends beyond the military. It really speaks to K through 12 curriculum now, where there's no more shop class. Manufacturing's not introduced to anybody. We own the problem as parents. I'm not telling my sons to go into manufacturing. I'm telling my sons to go to college. 
I'm not telling my sons to go be, you know, a, a, get a trade, fix air conditioners, be a construction. You can make a ton of money, like you said. But we're, it's our own problem. We're all forcing them to college and not introducing them to these other opportunities that are out there where they can really flourish and do some great things. So we got big ideas for the future. And, you know, we like to counter a lot of the narrative that's out there. We like to be a bit disruptive in that respect. It's an entrepreneurial program, right? So we're all looking at a wide variety of things. So because, you know, John, unfortunately, he's had to hear me talk a lot more than the other three of you. I'm a big meat and potatoes kind of a guy, kind of a, I would say a no BS. I like to make shit happen. As I requested all of you, this was my request for you guys to take time to be on the Where's Willie podcast. It is my understanding that you're doing far more than just the manufacturing sector, but it was my decision. I love what you guys are doing. I love what you guys are about. I want to ask, because sometimes, guess what? Some of the listeners, they have money. Are you guys comfortable to just, you know, share right now? So vetsceo.org. Understanding you've served and helped over 4,000 veterans. You provide them the education, training, leadership opportunities, networking, support to grow and be successful. What is the communication? Because I've never had to raise capital. Okay. I've acquired closed deals from people that's not their cash. It's from their purchasing department where they bought our parts. What is the conversation? And you guys can give me some education. When you are looking for some... I would say angel investment, whether you're getting support from government programs, but also, you know, private sector. And then what is the ROI or, you know, the incentives that you guys offer? For example, if a company, somebody that's listening, wants to support vet2ceo.org because of all the amazing things that you guys are doing and all the potential, and maybe they're on fire for some of the ideas that you had just shared, how would they go about getting involved or having that conversation? When it comes to the investment side to do the things that you would love to do, what is the benefits to a company then or an individual that wants to financially support vet2ceo.org? Do you guys have that defined? And are you comfortable to say, yeah, if we have a discussion with somebody that wants to be a part of it, here's what we do in return. Can you share that? Yeah, I can take it because I'm at the center of this right now. And uh, allow me just read off a quick list of benefits to our supporters. Uh, first of all, as you know, we, we're a nonprofit. We can't do what we do without the generous support of those that have been to the program, the entrepreneurs, veterans, and the private industry that, you know, wants to see this succeed. We got a great grant from uh, Bank of America about a year ago uh, that's allowed us to do a lot of the things that we just spoke about. But if you come in and you support the program, there are many benefits to a sponsor. It can be a qualified lead flow for financial institutions. We have veterans in the program. We can steer them to certain organizations, legal, accounting, wherever they might need help. People that are supporting the program, we want to kind of showcase those places. You get national recognition as a supporter of veteran entrepreneurship. You get access to qualified veterans you know, for apprenticeship opportunities, you know, a wide network that we already have. Access to guest speaking opportunities, a good chance for you to showcase, like you will, you can come in and talk about manufacturing, the value of it, and plant that seed in entrepreneurs that are or veterans that are in our course. <laughs> As always, you know, the, the tax advantage uh, funding opportunity, and then you get access to uh, disadvantaged business enterprises, and then national reach and exposure to veterans and other supporting stakeholders through our network. Like if we brought your organizations. Uh, logo onto our website and, and talked about it in our program, you're getting wide exposure 
you know, through what we do. There was uh, some benefits under the CARE Act, you know, of, uh, donations up to 300 or 600 for joint fathers are tax deductible. So there are some tax advantages, certainly, to, uh, you know, the being a partner and supporting us financially and doing what we do. So we do understand that clearly. We just, and we suck at asking for money because we're veterans. Yeah. We just don't ask for help. It's not in our DNA, right? It's something we've had to overcome. But we know we need that to continue. But we want to make it worthwhile. We don't just say, hey, Willie, can you cut us a check for 125 k Thanks. See you later. No, do that. And let's partner somehow. Let's help each other. And bring that percentage of veterans or service members that are choosing entrepreneurship to a higher level. Because we all have work to do in that space. And not to be a pain in the ass, but I want to clarify for any listeners. If there's somebody, such as myself, that doesn't have 125000 to give, are you guys open to any minimum? Meaning if anybody wants to support that's a CEO, whether it's pennies on the dollar, for those listening or the people that I'm gonna share this with from here on out, I can promise you, if anybody wants to make any financial contribution, can they and what's the best way to do so? They can and we'll take anything. Every little bit helps, you know? And so if somebody can, can you know, set aside, donate to an important cause, we're extremely grateful. Yeah, we've got a fundraising campaign through our Facebook site, Bet the CEO on Facebook. You can find us there. Best place is our home website, betceo.org, which will take you right where to where you can click on and you know and drop in whatever kind of uh, you know support that you can. But yours, Joey, we can do 120,000 if that's helpful. If that All right, good to know. Uh, joking. Any any little bit helps, Willie, and uh, we're grateful for those that, that do support the program any way they can. Now, something that I want you guys to consider, this is, again, my own assessment as I reviewed everything that you guys are doing and the opportunity that I see. In our world, we pay a lot of money to do trade shows every year, stand in a 10 by 10 booth, and then there's a panel of guest speakers. Many of them haven't really done anything as far as I'm concerned. I think when we talk about opportunity, I would say weakness on your guys' behalf, the greatest asset that VETA CEO has, in my opinion, you have a network of over 4,000 veterans that have done some pretty amazing things serving our country. Many people have stories of tremendous loss, adversity, and they've overcome that. To me, that's telling. I could see VETA CEO for those that maybe are a little bit charismatic, such as myself, that VETA CEO has a group of guest speakers because companies are always looking for motivation, leadership opportunity, and people to speak. I think it would be great to see somebody like Monty share the life of being a SEAL, John to talk, Mike, Rob, and again, your network of people that are comfortable to share their story. And to me, there's a fee associated to doing that. So for example, I know guest speakers that uh, we're affiliated with in different associations in manufacturing, and I know Mike does as well, you know, where we go to these conventions, we rub elbows for the night, it's the, uh, you know, ceremony night, the next two days are guest speakers from all over the world. I could see that's a CEO being the point of contact for anyone that's looking for a guest speaker that's a former veteran. Because I have yet to see, before I've seen Vets CEO, I don't know of any other organization, and if you guys do, I apologize, but I don't know where there's a single 
point resource where a company or a, a school or somebody that's looking for a, a guest speaker to share their story, and I could see excitement and potential that that single point is vet2ceo.org to read a bio of somebody like Monty Heath and request that he fly out and speak to our group. And in return, they make a financial contribution to vet2ceo.org because all of your experience is something that none of us civilians have any idea or relatability to. And as humble as you guys all are, that's your biggest weakness. You just carried out your MOS. And to me, that's something to be shared. And that to me can be the single biggest value that you guys can provide in addition to education, growing, supporting, and helping our veterans be successful after their years of service. Just to appreciate that. Rob actually does a lot of guest speaking professionally. And then, you know, We've been asked to do that, and we will, and we should more. That's great advice. You know, I actually wrote that down. We need to press that a little bit more because I think we're too humble, right? We, but we have a lot to offer, I think, to organizations that want to get a little exposure to what we're talking about, you know. So I do want to go back to something you said, though, because it, it could be what we speak about if we get asked to do guest speaking, but I don't want this point to be missed as part of this podcast and, you know, what we do. Yeah, I think one thing, especially potential sponsors might want to sponsor us for is the tremendously valuable resource that we're pooling together by what we do. And that is these leaders that are coming out of the military. No one spends more money and time on developing leadership skills in the United States military. And no matter what rank you are, even if you spent a few years, you've got tremendous investment in leadership, no matter what you did. You know, when Mike left the Army of the Confederacy and became a civilian, you know, nobody had to tell him, you know, righty, tighty, lefty, loosey, right? He knew how to work on stuff. But what Mike brought to the table since he left, which most veterans do, is this raw leadership skill set that they don't even know they had, no matter what branch they were in, no matter what job they had in the military. If you became an NCO or an officer, you, you got a huge dose of leadership. So I think what Vet the CEO, you know, what we're doing just by default is gathering this pool of leadership that's available to manufacturers that want better leaders on their um, assembly lines, that want better junior leaders on their management staffs. You know, this is access to a pool of resources that's tough to corral, right? Resources that have gone through our our program and they've gone through the paces and learned business skills, and now you've got this stream of well-qualified candidates that are preciously valuable to any organization that wants to take them in, whether that's to be an employee or to take over their business because you want to retire or as an investor to fund that individual. Leadership's not some course they took in college. Leadership is something they had to eat, breathe, and succeed at, or they got whacked because there's not a lot of tolerance for poor leaders throughout the military, believe it or not, because the price is too high. So I just wanted to get on my soapbox there on that one. And I, I think that's what there's hard skills and soft skills with every veteran. The hard skills are what job did you do? The the soft skills are really, I think, the value that a veteran brings to the table, whether that's an entrepreneurship or joining an existing organization. One skill set or one piece of experience that I think a lot of veterans do undervalue is 
living, working, breathing in crisis and chaos. The military is amazing at working in chaos because most events that we do in the military are chaotic. And when you get into business, it's obviously a different type of chaos, but it's very chaotic because you have to wear a bunch of hats and you're in charge of everything and everything falls on your shoulders and you don't have a support team and you don't have logistics and you don't have a million people that are helping you. You've got to do it all your, yourself or hire it out. So yeah, one of the things veterans definitely undervalued themselves is in working in chaos, working in crisis. As I said, guys, I'm really humbled with what you guys have put together and you've built. You know, we've outlined, you know, really a, a strong foundation for my own understanding. And I think the listeners too, kind of the way I want to, you know, tie this all together is I understand the mission. I understand how you're serving, who you're serving, the value of what you guys are doing. We all admit that you guys are horrible at asking for money and support. I'm going to be advocating that on myself just because I believe in each of you. And this is a program that I have not. I don't think that there's another program like this that's specific or I want to say niche targeted. You know, so a lot of the veteran programs that I've heard about are kind of, you know, far and wide. And I think you guys are very deep and intentional and very specific. And I think that's what's, I guess, most appealing to me uh, in regard to vet2ceo.org. If anybody wants to learn more information, let's just, let's kind of tie in with this. So for anybody that's listening, that is a veteran, knows a veteran, knows a veteran owned company that would just, if they don't need help, but want to be a part of an amazing network, they can share vet2ceo.org. So the best way to do that, I would say is go to your website, vet2ceo.org. So V-E-T-T-O-C-E-O.org. Are you guys on social media or, or are there other ways, maybe by phone, um, anybody can call and learn information about the programs, learn information about how to support vet2ceo.org, learn how to maybe request somebody to be a guest speaker uh, from vet2ceo.org. What are some of the, I guess, additional ways that our listening community can get in touch with vet2ceo.org? The website is the central funnel in there. We also have a Facebook page, which is pretty active. Uh, we're up on LinkedIn. You'll see us posting and doing a lot more on social media in those spaces. So the interaction is great. You go to our website, you can call, leave us a message. We have got a central number that, and, and we've got a good uh, operating procedure between the, you know, the team that we've got together to be responsive to those calls. And we want to cater to the veteran. And I'm, I appreciate you talking about how specialized we are, how valuable we are, because I believe that as well. And I think one of the things that makes us unique is our interaction with people. We go through the course, you'll see John and Mike answering direct questions from students and talking about what their ideas are and interacting in a very personal way. And we're always standing by to help somebody. So in a variety of ways, if they wanted to speak or to come in, then reach out and ask the question. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll pull it team. We talk every Friday, keep ourselves synchronized and reach back out. But between Facebook, LinkedIn, and our uh, webpage, which you mentioned, there's your doors to come in, enter any one of those and, you, and you'll get a response from us. One thing I do want to ask, because I didn't bring this up in my excitement of helping to uh, share how people can support. And I want to ask this honestly. So one of the things that I do, so my current role is I'm head of marketing for the Americas with Kogane. That is a fancy term of I've been learning a lot. It's humbling to know the whole social media dynamic. You know, I have two children that make fun of me daily because I think I did something really awesome. And my 16-year-old daughter said, that that's horrible. Don't even post me or add me on that, please. I'm like, I think it looks nice. 
I want to ask, are there specific roles? And I think this is important for people to know, and I want to share it, but I don't want to share it without your permission. You admitted that anybody can support financially on their own. What if there's a listener that maybe works for a marketing company or a media company that does video, they do audio, they do website. Is vet2ceo.org also willing to consider non-monetary support, whether that's branding, other initiatives, you know, Monty hit it on the head. You know, we as individuals can only be good at so many things, all right? Is there some, if there's listeners that are currently run organizations that think that they can help vet2ceo.org in other ways outside of financially just giving you the money, but maybe saying, hey, we can help with the promotion, we can help with the website, we can help, you know, uh, as you had mentioned, you know, maybe some of the attorneys, are there, is vet2ceo.org open to also non-monetary support for growth and opportunity? Short answer is yes. We have a, actually have a partner program we launched about a year ago. So we have a partner page on our website. And the, the goal of that is to develop partnerships in key areas for entrepreneurs like accounting, lawyers, marketing firms, organizations that really legitimately want to help the people in our program execute on those disciplines that they have to get right. And uh, we're proud of the list we have now, but that list can always be bigger and not surprisingly the partners we have are veteran owned many of them but uh, we're always whether you're veteran owned or not if an organization wants to participate in our program by being a partner helping us out in that regard we welcome that and you know we have a formal program for that it's not important who gets the credit to us really you know at the end of the day if a veteran succeeds and can really flourish their entrepreneurial journey, then we don't care who gets the credit. You know, whoever can help us out, then that's all about those kind of partnerships. Mm-hmm. To all of our listeners, I want to thank all of you guys for your attention today. This interview for me just means so much. So, Monty, John, Rob, Michael, again, thank you for serving our country, protecting our freedoms. I'm inspired by what vet2ceo.org is doing. Year to date, you've already helped over 4,000 individuals. Vet2CEO.org is your resource to get support. Anybody listening, again, if you're a veteran, if you know a veteran that wants help, needs help, looking to network, have opportunity, grow, be a part of Vet2CEO.org. For those of you that have interest to make financial support, Vet2CEO.org, contact them. For non-monetary support, if you believe in their mission and what they're doing, get on board, Vet2CEO.org. I want to thank all of you for being my guest today. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining me on my journey as I travel coast to coast throughout the Americas, talking all things manufacturing with great leaders. Now, if you have a story that you want to share about you or your company, please go to whereswillypodcast.com and submit and complete our guest form, and my producer will get in touch with you to get you scheduled to be on a future Where's Willie podcast. Hey, Willie, uh, I don't want to ruin your ending, but uh, I do want to use some time left to thank you. We didn't ask you for this. You asked us, so you're the kind of person that walks the walk, and we want to thank you for it. It's an honor, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Where's Willie Show. For more information on future shows, please visit Where'sWillyPodcast.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Where's Willie Podcast and on Twitter at Where's Willie POD. Thank you all so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.